Did you not get the memo? <laughs> we decided to start dressing up around here. I don't know. You must have missed it. Um, yeah, no. I have to go pray at Village Hall in between services, so that works out weird for you. You have to watch me in my, you know, weird clothes, and it works out good because the sermon's short because I've got to go over there. So, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Um, you know, I mean... There are a lot of questions that are hard to understand. Like, why does a round pizza come in a square box? I mean, have you ever figured that out? Why do people say they slept like a baby when a baby wakes up every two hours crying? Why do people go up in tall buildings, put money in binoculars so that they can look back down at the ground from whence they just came? Why do toasters have a setting on them that burns the toast to such an unrecognizable crisp that no human would ever eat it? If Jimmy cracks corn and no one cares, why is there a song? <laughs> if the professor on Gilligan's Island could make a radio out of a coconut, why can't he fix the hole in the boat? <laughs> and probably most perplexing for me right now is why are the Sox acting like the Cubs? <laughs> Isn't it perplexing? But it's okay, it's football season. Yeah! It's also, obviously, the 10th anniversary of one of the biggest questions, I think, in our nation's history. Why? 9-11, a date we will never forget. A date, an anniversary of a, of a lot of hard numbers, really. Number of people who died. 3,000, somewhere around there, depending on who you count. Total number of... New York Police Department and Port Authority officers who died, 60. Total number of firefighters and paramedics who were killed, 343. Number of families who received no remains, 1,717. Number of children who lost parents in the attack, 3,051. Numbers. But more than that, really, wasn't it? I mean, it, 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 it's so much more. I mean, before that, before that day, this day was so pivotal for us, before that day, calendar numbers were remembered for celebrations for the most part, weren't they? 1225, 214, 74. Now we have 911, the number that most people believe Al-Qaeda decided to use because that's the number that we call when there's an emergency. The emergency, you call 911, right? My favorite 911 story, I just got to tell you this one because it works. Bubba down in Oklahoma where I'm from, he, his wife had a heart attack and he called 911. I mean, he got that figured out. And he called them and they said, well, okay, we'll get somebody there right away. Where do you live? And he said, well, I live on Eucalyptus Drive. And the lady dispatcher said, could you spell that for me? And there was a long pause. Bubba said, how about I drag her over to Oak Street and you can pick her up there? <laughs> We called 911 when we got an emergency, and, and that day we had an emergency. We all remember where we were. You were at work, you were at school, you were getting ready for one of those things, getting ready for your day. It's really weird to me because when I look back, isn't it weird? I mean, I just somebody on the way in said, I can't believe it was 10 years ago. When I look back in my memory, it's so different because I had just turned 40 years old. I mean, I, I celebrated my half centennial on Monday, and I realized my birthday in 9-11 and major birthdays in 9-11 were only six days apart. And for my 40th birthday, my wife had thrown me this big surprise party and made me jump out of an airplane. 
which is probably indicative of you know what our marriage was like back ten years ago. But I, I, I did all those things. She threw the party a little bit early and, and surprised me with the airplane jump a little bit early. But there wasn't more than two or three weeks in between the occasion of me jumping out of a plane and when planes flew into the World Trade Centers. But in my memory, I don't have it that way. I don't remember it that way at all. It's like whatever was in your memory before 9-11 just completely changed in significance after 9-11. Isn't that right? I mean, everything changed. And there have been painful moments in our nation's history. Some of you remember uh, John F. Kennedy being shot. Some of you remember other big days, uh, the Challenger blowing up. Remember those days. But this one was different because of the technology that we had ten years ago. I mean, so different than John F. Kennedy being shot or any of those other things. And it was a slow process. It was a slow, painful process. We all remember a plane hit a building. Somehow we almost all went and found a TV somewhere. And then uh, it might be terrorism. And then a plane hit the other building. And then the president comes on. And, and, and then the plane hits the Pentagon. And then a plane crashes in Pennsylvania that was maybe headed for the White House. And the buildings come down. And we're all watching it in disbelief. I think that's why there was so much emotion because we were it was like we were there whether you knew anybody or not you felt anger revenge dismay belief I remember fading in and out that day you know you, you try to go do some other work and, and try to get your mind on something else don't you remember that and then you know something else would happen or you just get sucked back into it how could this happen why did this happen I, I don't think I know anyone in those buildings but they were people like me with family and friends and and where are they now? You know, I mean, those are some of the questions I start asking. And did they know Jesus? They were questions without answers. Let me give you a little why and then a what today as we remember 9-11. The Bible teaches us that this is not a perfect world because there's sin in this world. People do wrong things and suffer the results. And, and the Bible's really brutally honest about it. Ecclesiastes 8, Solomon says, sometimes something useless happens on the earth. This is a contemporary version. I love this. Sometimes something useless happens on the earth. Bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. What he's saying here is that we don't always get what we deserve. And sometimes I'm thankful for that, aren't you? I don't always get the ticket I deserve. I don't always get the punishment I deserve because I do some things that I deserve bad for. But it also means that sometimes I don't deserve the bad stuff that happened because I didn't do anything. And sometimes I, I get good stuff that I don't deserve. And, and that's just the random way that the world works. And one of the questions that we asked one, right after the thing was over was, why New York, why the World Trade Center? You know, the people in New York worse than the people in Chicago. Why that and not the Sears Tower? How did that whole thing work? And, and, and so I read the scripture the next week because I think it's really interesting that in Jesus' day there was a tower tragedy. And we don't know anything about it, but somebody asked Jesus basically this question. Why did it happen to those people? And Jesus said, those 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? And, and of course, the obvious answer is no. There wasn't like there was somebody in that tower that God wanted to strike down. This was not an act of God. This was not God's will. Okay? I hate it that insurance contracts list tornadoes and hurricanes and, and natural disasters as acts of God. God. That's ridiculous. God could stop those things. God could have stopped the terrorists. But the truth of the matter is, one of the greatest blessings that we have in our life is the fact that God gave us free will. And, and because of that free will, I have the free will to love or I have the free will to hate or the free will to commit mass murder. And I want to go on record as saying I don't hate those people. I don't blame their religion. 
I've chosen poorly and hurt innocent people in my life. And you have too. But don't blame it on God. God gave them freedom of choice and they did what they did. 2 Peter 3.9 says, it is, not, or it is God's will that all should repent and none should perish. Let me ask you a question. Do all repent? No. Do some perish? Yes. What does that mean? That means that God's will is not always done. In the Lord's Prayer, we, play, we pray, Lord, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying, please bring Your will to earth. Why would we pray that if it was always done? Bad stuff happens because God left us to choose for ourselves and we chose sin and we have an imperfect world and now Satan is the ruler of this earth and Satan is here. And you make no mistake, God did not cause terrorism, Satan did, okay? As a matter of fact, I know that, I know that AP said that this picture after 9-11 was not doctored up. They swore that it wasn't, but I doubt it. I mean, I think somebody probably messed with it a little bit. Here's a picture that, go ahead, throw the picture back up there. It doesn't matter if I'm behind it. Throw the picture back up there. That picture, yeah, okay. And then the next one is the one that was sent all around the Internet. If you look closely, you kind of see a real eerie, satanic-looking face in the smoke. I don't know if it's doctored up or not. It doesn't matter to me because it represents the absolute truth. This, this was not God. This was evil. Evil is in this world, and that's why Jesus had to die to come and save us from it. There are some things that I taught from uh, Psalm 27 the week after 9-11, and as I was thinking about it this week, I thought, you know what, I'd like to go back and do that again, because the truth of the matter is, um, what I said earlier applies going forward. There will be more tragedies. I wish I could tell you, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, I said the same thing. I, I wish I could tell my daughter going off to college, everything's going to be okay. I wish I could tell you everything is going to be okay. But, but I'm going to tell you the truth of the matter is there will be more tragedies in your life. So what do you need to know when tragedy strikes? Whether you're feeling the effects of 9-11 10 years later or there's something going on in Psalm 27, I'm going to have a sentence for you that I want you to just write down. It's one sentence. I'm going to give it to you in three parts as I read it from Psalm 27, okay? I would encourage you to write this down and keep this with you. Psalm 27, 1 begins, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The first part of your sentence should say, I don't need to fear. I don't need to fear. The obvious answer here, who shall I fear, is no one, okay? It, yes, if we only have our power, we are helpless, we are hopeless, there's nothing that we can do. But if we have the power of God, then we don't need to fear. That's the difference. That's why we're here. That's why we understand that there's a great big God in heaven who can help us. David could write this, in the midst of what's going on in Psalm 27, Saul and his army, the king at the time, and his great army are trying to kill David for no reason. It's not his fault. He was at that point a very, very good person and bad things were happening to him. Not unlike the people in the towers. But God could say, I know this is going on, but I don't need to fear. Why? Because, well, David had already had this experience with a giant named Goliath. Maybe you heard about that one. In which God delivered him from the giant Goliath. I mean, one, one rock and one sling doesn't bring down a giant unless you got God with you. David had already been rescued from wild animals. David knew that his God was powerful. He knew that God was there. He knew that he was going to take care of him and rescue him. Now here's what I want to do. Let's just go ahead and read through the first few verses of this together. Just the first three verses. Read this with me out loud, would you? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh... 
When my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war breaks out against me, even then will I be confident. Do you remember a time, a situation in your life where you didn't have to fear because you were confident because somebody else was with you that was powerful? I mean, you've got to admit, just looking around a little bit today at, at our audience, having emergency personnel, having our police officers and our sheriffs and, and firefighters and people in uniform, doesn't that kind of make you feel a little more safe? You know, something crazy? I've got some people here hanging out. <clears throat> It, it, does, it does me. Uh, when we went to Africa, um, we uh, t- took my family over there as a mission we support over there, kids in the slums. Just my family did VBS uh, one week for, uh, for the kids that were over there and then uh, took a few days and went and saw the animals. And, we, you know, I mean, it's not a zoo. It's like, a, it's like out there in the wild. It's kind of a game preserve, but it's out there in the wild. And, and we got to go see the hippos. Here's uh, our Christmas picture that year was the five Harlows and the five hippos. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> We each had our own representative hippo that day. My girls didn't like that Christmas picture very much, but I thought it was funny. Here's the thing. When you go to Africa, you're not afraid of lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. No, you're not. You know what you're afraid of? Hippos and elephants. I know it's weird, but more people die from hippos and elephants than all of the other animals combined because they're fierce. So when you go see the hippos, there's a a guard. There's a game-preserved guard there with a gun who doesn't speak very good English, and uh, the only thing that I really understood that he said was, always stay near the gun. <laughs> There's a picture of me, me and gun boy, okay? <clears throat> my new best friend. Because, you know, I mean, if one of those hippos takes out, off after one of my daughters or one of the people in our party, there's not a whole lot I'm going to be able to do about it, but I'm confident because of him. What I want to tell you on the anniversary of 9-11, what I want to tell you about what's going on in your life, is that you don't need to be confident in your own self. You don't need to, you don't need to have no fear because of what's going on in your own self. You have no fear because of God. You have no fear because the guy with the gun, you're going to stay near the guy with the gun. Because we serve the same God who gave... Uh, Abraham, a son in his old age, who took Moses through the Red Sea, who shut the mouths of lions, who rescued David from the giant and from his attackers. We serve the same God who in the New Testament knocked down walls and raised the dead. Okay, And and remember that. Remember that. I remember fondly President Bush quoting uh, from Romans 8 at the National Prayer Service a few days later. Pretty amazing. He quoted this, Romans 8.37, In all things... We are more than conquerors. It doesn't say there won't be a battle. It says we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present or the future nor powers or height nor depth or any other thing in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, of Jesus Christ, that is in Christ Jesus my Lord. Nothing will be able to separate me. Okay, I don't need to fear. David said, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. I hope that you can understand that, whatever's going on today. I've been reading Numbers 
a lot lately because there's some great Moses stories in there. I'm just really getting into that right now, thinking about leadership in my own life. And, and there's a point, there are lots of points in the Old Testament where Moses, or, or God says to Moses, or he says to one of his prophets, or he says to somebody else, this phrase. And I've got to study this phrase a little bit more because I don't know exactly what it means, but, but there's some significance in it because every time he says it, he says the same exact thing. God says back to Moses, who is whining because you know, he's tired of leading God's people. Okay, I've done that. It's not, it's not you guys, it's like the 11 o'clock service, but I've done that. <laughs> so I, I'm relating to Moses a little bit, you know. I'm like, God, these people, man, they won't get out of the 11 o'clock service. What am I supposed to do, okay? And, and, and here's what God said to Moses. He said, are the Lord's arms too short? Isn't that, isn't that a funny phrase? Isn't that odd? Are the Lord's arms too short? I picture in my mind Tyrannosaurus Rex, you know? <laughs> Is that, is that your picture of God? This, this great, big, powerful beast that doesn't have any arms. He, I mean, he's really, really powerful and he can run around and he can chew on you, but he can't really help you because he doesn't have any arms. I, mean, I think that's the God that a lot of people worship. I, I want to tell you, whatever the tragedy is that's going to come, whatever the tragedy is in your life, God's arms are not too short. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That's a rhetorical question. I don't need to fear. Let's move on. Because my priorities have changed. I don't need to fear because my priorities have changed. Write that sentence down, the second part of the sentence. Wasn't it interesting how our perspectives changed after... 9-11. I mean, do you remember what you worried about on Monday, 9-10? Because I don't. I wrote this in my sermon. I said, someone who works for Intamin's Bakery had brought, randomly brought over on Monday night, September 10th, a box of cinnamon rolls and donuts and coffee cake over to the offices, which were away from the church at the time. So on Tuesday morning, when all this starts going on, we hooked up a TV and we were watching what was going on, and we had all this junk food sitting there. And I said, I happened to look at the cinnamon rolls and saw 26 grams of fat. And I thought, who cares? And I ate it. Now, I'm not saying that's much different than I would have done any other day. <laughs> but I'm saying fat grams were not important on 9-11, were they? Financial problems were not important. Job problems, undone projects. None of it matters when you're watching the television and you realize that there are thousands of people in that building still as it's crumbling down. There is only one thing that mattered on September 11th, and that was God. There was only one place we turned, and that was God. I mentioned already President Bush could quote from Psalm 23 and Romans 8 and call for a national day of prayer without any fear of the ACLU. Firemen knelt down and prayed. Everyone was praying. Max Lucado later said, Osama bin Laden intended to bring America to her knees, but he did not anticipate to whom we would talk to when we were down there. Isn't that right? Churches were packed for weekends. Even this weekend, events involve God. I mean, I, I, I'm going to put my tie on and go over to the Orland Village Hall and have a prayer at 10.15 for the memorial service. Do you know how many times I've been asked to pray at Village Hall? This one. Okay? Why, why is it important today? 
I don't know why you're clapping for that. I should be asked every day. I don't know why you're at. I don't even. I mean, I mean, our perspectives change completely. I don't know if you got a chance to see the president this morning, President Obama this morning, as he addressed his speech at the commemoration. Here is the psalm that he read even this morning. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountain fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glass the city of God, the most holy place where the Most High dwells. God is, not, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts, his, he lifts His voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, President Obama read this morning on national television. The desolation He has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease and ends the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. And I will be exalted among the nations. And I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That was this morning, my friends. Why did we do that? Why, why did we do that? Why, would, why, would, why did we turn to God through this tragedy? Because there's no place else to turn. And I want you to understand that there are going to be times in your life when there's no place else to turn. Someone famously said it this way, there are no atheists in foxholes. Is that not true? Mother Teresa said, you will never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you've got. And then all of a sudden, everything changed. David goes on to say in Psalms 27, he goes on to say in verse 4, One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. You feel the intensity of that prayer? One thing that I seek, this is what I look for. This is my priorities have changed. I will not fear because my priorities have changed. Now I realize that there is no peace in the land. There is only peace in the house of the Lord. And our priorities shifted with each other too, didn't they? I mean, immediately, not only weren't we drawn to God, but we were drawn to each other. I read about a group of geography students that were trying to work on the seven wonders of the world and they, you know, they had the whole list of all the wonders and they, and they compiled them all together to come up with their own seven. And they came up with a, the pyramids, the Taj Mahal, Stonehenge, uh, Panama Canal, Empire State Building, St. Peter's Basilica, and China's Great Wall. I, I, that was a pretty good list. There are a lot of lists out there, but that was the list they came up to. But the teacher noticed that there was one little girl who hadn't really been participating, and she said, hey, are you having trouble with your list? Maybe we could help you. And the little girl said, yeah, I'm having trouble because there are so many wonders of the world. And the teacher said, well, why don't you read what you've got so far? And the little girl said, I think the seven wonders of the world are to touch, to taste, to see, to hear, to run, to laugh, and to love. Isn't that what happened to us? In one fail swoop, all of a sudden, our priorities shifted, and it was only about God, and it was only about love. Nothing else matters. Tragedies like 9-11 are times when we realize that we need each other. And can I just say, we need each other here, 10 years later, 
Um, and we're doing these, <clears throat> these small groups, so we're getting ready to start these small groups based on the series that I'm starting next week. Weird, because normal isn't working anymore. And we're, we've, got, we've got tens for you to give neighbors and invite them, and we're hoping this is really going to be a great time. But we need more small group hosts, and we need you to get signed up in a small group today. That's what you've got to do all that stuff today. Get signed up in a small group so that you've got some people to laugh and to love and to touch and to taste and to do the real seven wonders of the world with, because you need people to do that. You can fill out that thing in your bulletin and, and rip it out and hand it to somebody at the balloons on the X of one of the doors of our building and they will give you a packet. You don't even have to invite any other church people to come. You could just take the packet and do it with your own little family right there if you want to or bring your own friends over but get together in community. We need that. We, we need each other. We, we learned that at 9-11. It was really, really important. Priorities shifted and we gave. All of a sudden money was different. We were trying to figure out, all of us, scrambling to try to find out who could I give money to to help with this. As a church, we gave money. We collected money on 9-11 uh, the weekend after and, and for several weeks. And we gave it to uh, the only connection that I had in New York. I wanted to go straight to the source, you know. So we gave it to the Orchard Group, which is a church planting organization in New York, who said that they were going to be able, through the churches, to disperse the money. And so we collected money, and they collected money from other churches, and they collected a million dollars. Matter of fact, it was very, very fascinating because their efforts were so quick that they were actually featured in a New York Times front page article who asked them the question, how could you disperse these funds so quickly when so many other relief organizations haven't even started? Paul Williams, who preached here in the summer, he's the president of the Orchard Group. He said, we're giving the money through the churches that we started, and churches have been meeting the needs of their neighbors for about 2,000 years now. Yeah. He said, he said they don't have paperwork to fill out when they know their next door neighbor just lost a loved one. I mean, that's the way that we were supposed to be. And we responded and love prevailed and love won. And New York City has been changed. Do you know the number of evangelical Christians in New York City has tripled since 9-11? Still extremely low, but it's tripled. Number of, uh, the number of churches have doubled since 9-11. There are churches springing up, and we're a part of that. We're helping plant churches through the Orchard Group. They've planted 12 churches in the New York City area and 24 in the Northwest region, and we've been a part of that. And love has changed New York because love is our new priority. And you met Kyle last weekend if you were here, and he is a part of our efforts through the Orchard Group, not only the Northeast, but other places where there are churches that are, where there are places where it's hard to have church. Urban areas is where it's hard to have church. We're planting a church next weekend in Ventura, California, uh, where it's hard to have church. And, and that's what we do. And, and because of the, what happened in 9-11, we've been able to do that. And the churches that Orchard Group has planted had 10,000 people collectively on Easter, and they've had 2,000 baptisms since 9-11. And this year, and you don't really need to know this, but, but I want you to know, when you give your offering this weekend... 9.11% of it is going to go to the Orchard Group to help them plant more churches. And we're hoping to raise $911,000 to plant more churches. We got one, like I said, next weekend, we got Buffalo, we've got Inwood, New York, we've got another one in Upper Manhattan, we've got another one in Philly that we're working on, and even Western Europe where it's hard to take the gospel. Love is prevailing because our priorities shifted. I don't need to fear because my priorities have changed. And I sought God, and, I, and we sought each other, and we gave, and we got our life figured out a little bit. And the third part of that sentence is, and my confidence is in God. My confidence is in God. Here's what he says in verse 13. I'm still confident of this. 
I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm confident of this. I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord. When the towers come down, when whatever's going on in your life happens, you need to not fear because your priorities are going to change in that moment and you can have confidence that you are going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. One of the things that was interesting to me after 9-11, and I got it, was how... Bush's wife, the first lady, got on there and said, you know what, you need to just get your kids home tonight from school and tell them that they're safe. And we all wanted to do that, didn't we? We, we all wanted to go get our kids out. And they were like, no, leave it, let it go. Let's, we're going to deal with this here. Go get your, get your kids after school. And Mrs. Bush said, I want you to tell them that they're safe. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to do that. I'm going to tell them that there's a very unlikely chance that terrorists are going to hit Mokina, Illinois. Okay? I'm going to definitely do that. But I can't really tell them that they're safe. I can only tell them that I know who holds the future. I can only tell them that there is only one safe, and that is to know that God has saved me, and no matter what happens to my body here on this earth, I'm going to be good forever. Proverbs 18.10, The name of the Lord is the strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are safe. That's the only safe. This is what I seek, David said, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. He doesn't mean if you come into church, nothing's going to happen to you. He means means that when you dwell with God, you can have confidence, you can have peace, because you are safe. No matter what happens to you, you are safe. I don't want to die, it would be sad for my family, but sign me up, I know I'm okay. I'm ready to go. Billy Graham said after the attack, there are hundreds of people in those buildings that are in heaven and they don't want any part of coming back now. We have to understand that. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through, the old song said. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I won't feel at home in this world anymore. That's the way it's going to be. I'm not safe. I'm confident. The question for me that night was what did non-believing parents tell their kids? Because all of a sudden, there's no confidence that terrorism isn't going to strike the United States of America. All of a sudden, everything changed, didn't it? Where's our safe? I'm not safe. I'm insured, right? I mean, I have insurance policies for my health, for my cars, for my life, because they aren't safe. That's why the insurance industry exists. I know that there's a very small chance that a tornado will wipe out my house in Mokina. I know there's a very small chance that I'll get in a bad accident and total my car, but I want to be covered just in case. As a matter of fact, if something happens, it might turn out really well. I might get more money for the car than it's worth. I'm not suggesting anything, but it's a 2002 Explorer with a Wheaton sticker out there. Just in case. <laughs> when it comes to my life, it's very smart of me to be, have insurance because I'm not safe, because I know that, that problems are going to happen in this life. Think about this. But when it comes to my eternal life, it's also important for me to have eternal insurance. And I can only get internal insurance from Jesus Christ. In the Pentagon, in the World Trade Towers, there were lots of people who were good people. They paid their taxes. They took care of their neighbors. They did all the right things. They were nice people. They took care of their kids. But if they didn't have Jesus when they got to the end, that would, really didn't matter because they were never going to be good enough. 
I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. I don't have, I have an eternal insurance policy because I know that I'm not good enough. There's only one thing that matters when it gets to that day. And it doesn't matter what floor you lived on or how much money you make or how good you are. There's only one thing that matters and that is, is Jesus in here? That's it. And that, that may sound like bad news, but it's not. It's good news. It's great news. Because I know that I can't be good enough to get to a perfect heaven with a perfect God. Dave Stone said, I got to thinking, he's my preacher friend in, in Louisville, he said, I got to thinking the other day, it's been 10 years, maybe it's time we trade in those three numbers, 9-11, for some new numbers. I want to make a suggestion, Dave wrote. How about these numbers, 316? Let's replace 911 with 316 or, or 316. Yes, 911 is something that we'll never forget, but we should replace 911 as Christians with 316. Here's a trail of 316s that God left us in His Word. 1 Corinthians 316. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's Spirit lives in you and His love will prevail? Colossians 3.16 Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you because His love prevails. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace at all times and in every way. And the Lord be with you all. Because His love prevails. 1 John 3.16 This is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. 316 instead of 911. I like it. Day which claimed the lives of 3,000 people. I, I, I don't know when you're going to die, but I know that you're going to. I have to tell you this. It might be 9-12, it might be 12-9, it might be 20-20 or 20-60. I don't know how it's all going to work. I don't know how it's going to work with me. But the only numbers that are going to matter are my insurance policy numbers, and they are 3-1-6. And I know you're thinking, wait a minute, there's one more. Yes, there is. There's that one, that, that most famous 3-16 that probably somebody at the Bears game will have a sign for today. John 3.16, would you just say this with me out loud? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life because love prevails. I'm going to ask the servers to get in uh, position for communion this morning. I want to take a minute here and, uh, and recognize some people who, when there was danger on 9-11-2001, when there was tragedy and trial, when there was pain, when there was uncertainty, uh, there were certain people who ran towards it and not away from it. And they continue to do that even now. And so if you're a first responder who's with us this morning, would you take a moment and just stand right now so we can recognize you? If you're a first responder, uh, please stand so we can recognize you guys.
can have a seat. Even with all the response and all the lives that were sacrificed in order to save people, um, there was one life in history that ran towards sin and death and hatred and gave his life up for it, which was Jesus. When Jesus taught the disciples about communion, he said, every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So just as we remember what happened 10 years ago today, Every time we take this juice and this bread, what we're doing is we're remembering. We're remembering that Jesus ran towards pain and suffering, our pain and suffering, and took it on himself to rescue us from death so that we might say love prevails over death, over anything we're going on, going through in our life. Jesus has prevailed over it. And so as we take these elements together today, let's remember But because of Jesus, love wins. As the trays come across, there are two cups. Would you take them both out, hold them, as we'll take communion together? You don't have to be a member of Parkview to take communion with us. If you believe in Jesus, you're more than welcome to come to this table this morning. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment we get to remember you, to remember who you are and what you've done. And may these elements remind us and bring to mind the fact that you died so that we might live, so that love might prevail. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.